Hey everybody, welcome to episode 23 of the Snake in the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Fines. You can find me on Twitter at jsnake underscore dff. In this episode, I have Michael Royer, aka at dynasty underscore dad ff on Twitter. Coming on the podcast, you should be following him. He is the host of the Dynasty Dad Pod and Dynasty Refinery. He is also a writer for Dynasty HH Pod. Today we're going to talk about Superflex Dynasty strategy from the startup to the next offseason, which I know everybody's heard the last couple of podcasts talking about Dynasty strategy. So this is just going to continue to build on it because I think we need to have a nice, well-rounded perspective of different strategies. So welcome, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, Jacob. You know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. This is the time of year where literally we have to talk about those kind of strategies. You know, I just was talking to Scott Connor, and it, I, I feel like the better, more eclectic approach you have of listening to different, you know, different analysts talk about their draft strategies and their, the way they go about the offseason, the more you as a, as a listener put that together, you get you form your own, you know, percentages of how you do things. And it's best to to kind of get your own approach. Yeah, I completely agree. And I know uh, I was talking to John Hogue a little while ago, and I mentioned to him how I'm even still personally working on my Superflex Dynasty strategy because there's just so many different ways to think about it. And I haven't had a super long standing league to really be able to dig deep and actually decide what my own strategy is. So, yeah, I'm excited to hear what your strategy is. But before we get to that, I have one question that I ask every guest, and that is what is one hobby that you really enjoy doing that does not relate to fantasy football? All right. So I am the dynasty dad and the biggest and and most exciting part of my life is being a dad. You know, I know that's kind of a cheat code answer here, but I mean, I have four kids, you know, seven, nine, 11, and 13, and just playing video games with them, playing sports in the backyard, just soaking up every possible minute is my hobby. You know, and I mean, aside from fantasy football, they're pretty much everything is super important to me right now. and, And I can't, you know, put anything else above that. Yeah, love it. Uh, what video games are y'all playing? Right now, they're totally into Fortnite. You know, like okay. my my youngest is into Super Smash Brothers. Uh, I always dominate them in Madden, but they I think they get <laughs> tired of that. You know, like I'm the dad who lets them get super close and then crushes their dreams at the end because I'm not I'm not about to lose. But they're no. totally into Fortnite Fortnite right now, and I'm trying to uh, get better at it. But it is uh, it's a little bit more challenging. You know, I grew up in the the NES, you know, like I'm old enough to remember that was that was my system and I got that upstairs still, my original one. So like Mario and all that kind of stuff, I dominate. But when it comes to some of these new first person shooters and things like that, you know, it takes a little bit of work, but I'm I'm working on it. It takes a ton of work. I actually got really into Fortnite in college, which was like two or three years ago. And I, yeah. I got decent at it. But for me, it was it's the whole building aspect that just was so difficult. And I bet that's what you're struggling with, too. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm used to when I was in college, SOCOM was out and I'm so used to hunting people down and, and, you know, attacking from that angle. And my son, I mean, he almost wins every time he plays like he's won some tournaments. He's he's 13. He's phenomenal at the game. And me, I'm like, I just go and go attack people. I'm not trying to build. I was like, this, I don't I'm not into Minecraft. They were into that. I'm like, I just want to <laughs> play, you know, I want some action. Yeah, you should get him into. There's a other game called Apex Legends that I think would be more your speed. It's it's like a Halo Fortnite combo, and there's no building. There you so, go. I might have. I don't to. know. It'll give me more an advantage. I love it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So let's go ahead and dig into Superflex Dynasty strategy. And we're going to start with the startup. So my first question is: Do you draft to win now? Be more in like a productive struggle or somewhere in between? Okay, that that changes 
every super flex draft is completely different. See, I feel like when you're in a one quarterback league, which I haven't done one of those for a while, but it's so vanilla and everything, you got your ADP there and you don't differentiate a lot. You know, there's not a, a big run on a position you're not expecting. You know, people go in generally six to eight, maybe 10 spots in difference. But in super flex, you know, you got to roll with the punches. You got to understand that sometimes they're going to go super heavy. And I personally kind of adapt to it as I go. Uh, last year, I was in a, a draft where I knew this running back class was going to be phenomenal. And what I did was a year one punt. And basically, I was taking young quarterbacks, young wide receivers. And I punted the running back class completely. And I accumulated seven first round picks by moving back consistently every round. I'm like, who wants it? And when you set the tone on that early, that that's something that you're willing to do, teams come to you and they're trying to move up. And that's where when it gets, when teams are super aggressive, they're trying to move up there. And that's how you accumulate value. Like I kept moving back every single round and, and picking up players that I thought were, you know, high upside that could get to that same draft spot. So if, if I'm trading back from 205 to to 308, I'm taking a guy who I think is going to be in that same area. But now what I call it, and I, I, I talk about this all the time on the Dynasty Refinery, is an insulated trade or insulated risk where you move back from that 205 where you might have got Chris Godwin. You move back to 308, take A.J. Brown and get a first on top of it. It's it's And then recently I did uh, FFPC pros versus Joes. I was you know honored to be in that with Curtis Patrick, guys from Goat District, uh, Nick BDGE, like some big-time names in there. And – I ended up with, you know, I had the 104 and I got Saquon. And now I'm like, so I feel like your first pick pretty much dictates how you're going to go. You know, for me, once I got Saquon Barkley and then I ended up getting Joe Mixon in the second round, then I became a win now team, you know, and I feel like you, you almost have to be able to be fluid in all of your drafts. You can't sit there and say, I'm going all in right off the bat. You got to take the value where it hits you. Yeah, that's a great point because um, there was two different Superflex Dynasty uh, drafts I was in this offseason. And there was one to where there was 20 QBs that were drafted in the first five rounds. And then another one, which this is mostly new people to Superflex. It's my new like home Dynasty League. It's with some friends and family. There was only seven quarterbacks drafted in the first five rounds. So yeah, That's the difference. Is If you're in an industry league or a, a Twitter league or guys that are – knowledgeable and really getting that information out there they go heavy i mean i've been in some 12 and 14 i was in a dynasty happy hour versus dynasty nerds draft also i did five this offseason so I, and they're all super flex and in that particular one it was 14 team and the quarterbacks flew off the board by the time the third round was over there was like eight starting quarterbacks left you know so it's it's just you gotta you gotta be able to adapt and you gotta roll with it and then your newer you know, dynasty owners, they're, they're really, for the most part, sit back and wait on those quarterbacks because they're so used to one quarterback league and they're not quite sure where to go with that. So I like to think outside the box. I like to zig when other people zag and you, you, you have to really, that's how you create positional advantages. That's how you put yourself in a position where you're always just striving for as much value. And what I really try to do in drafts, I want to make sure I get at least three to four quarterbacks but I'm trying to gain as much value. People in the offseason really start to say, well, I didn't have a running back this round, so I, I stretched or I reached on James Conner. No, no, you don't have to start James Conner in February, right? Like he's only going to depreciate in value. So take those wide receivers in that same round and you know build up that value and make it a trade market because I love to trade. 
Isn't it Dynasty Outhouse that says draft best player available? Isn't that yep. his like we were, main quote? Yes. We were talking about that last night. We talked about that a lot and we talked about Superflex rankings and and really, you know, take that best player every single time and and we we talked about a lot of these things and I think they're universal truths when it comes to your draft. And I find the reason I started Dynasty Refinery and Dynasty Dad podcast was to teach people that, you know, how to do these kind of things and give lessons on, you know, I did a lesson on rebuild. I'm going to do a lesson on startups. That way people can have an idea of what they need to do. Yeah. I was going to mention that rebuild uh, podcast, a couple of podcasts that you had, because I listened to them and they were fantastic because there's a couple leagues that I'm in a rebuild and I listen to it. And if anybody thinks they know more than someone else, just listen to anybody else's information. Cause you're going to learn a couple things and you did a great job of breaking it down and talking about, it's been a little while, but just sort of how to build your team up from the bottom, which right. I think is really important. And we'll get into that a little bit today, but um, yeah, those are some great podcasts. I'll definitely put that on the, the show sheet for sure and find those because those are well done. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I think the one thing that I I try to break it down and show show the trades that I make, talk about it step by step. And the two things that I try to do when I talk about rebuilding that I don't hear a lot of other podcasts do is number one, you know, that splash trade. So many teams, I want to be top three, I want to be bottom three, but they sit on the fence and they don't make that splash trade. They don't make that trade where I'm like, now I'm all all the way committed to the rebuild. And then the other one is I like to create positional deficiencies. You know, I hate tanking. I hate the word tanking. I hate the idea of tanking. You know, I've played in leagues last year where a guy benched Devonte Adams and DeAndre Hopkins the last six weeks of the season. I hate that. It ruins the league. So what I do is, like I talked about in that punt, I didn't start any running backs that were worthwhile the entire season, but I still started the best players on my team. Yep. And that's a great point because a lot of people think tanking is um, playing like worse players or trading away really good players so that you're not playing players that are going to score a lot of points. But um, the only point that I would consider tanking in a rebuild that gets a little wishy-washy for me is if someone, say, trades away all their starting quarterbacks. And so they don't even have a starting quarterback left on their roster. And that, to me, gets wishy-washy because then you're not starting a full roster. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was still starting, you know, players that were playing you know it's not that i I feel like do not trade all your quarterbacks in a super flex because it's going to be so much more expensive to buy them back but yeah yeah and that was from uh someone posted on twitter and i they were talking about someone said that this team was going too far in tanking and their best quarterback and their only really potential starting quarterback was justin herbert and i was just like that to me is going too far because you won't be able to start a quarterback most likely for four to six weeks, maybe the whole season. But right. I do completely agree with get rid of those running backs, get rid of those high end guys. Well, if you want to keep some of the younger ones, of course you can, but get rid of the Devonte Adams, trade them away, get your AJ Brown plus a 2021 first and maybe a 2022 first on top and build your team up that way because I'm doing a rebuild. My top running backs were Darius Geis and Damian Harris. And so now it's like Damian Harris and like Lamar Miller. So yeah. like, that's, 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 that's going to that's gonna put you in that one-on-one race, you know, and that's where, that's where you want to be. And you, the, to the point you said, those insulated trades, you know, trading, it, it's retooling a little bit sometimes, or just moving down where you take DeAndre Hopkins and I, in a recent trade, I traded DeAndre Hopkins for DK Metcalf and the one Oh five in a rookie draft. And I took JK Dobbins. I mean, that's how you win is you, you take those studs that are starting to depreciate, you sell them before they get to that point, And you know, that's how you win it. Yeah, I love that move. My last question related to the startup draft is, how do you balance youth and vets in a dynasty startup? And I've heard some people say just draft the youth early and draft vets later. Is there is that similar to what you do, or do you do something a little bit different? 
No, I agree with that. I think in the beginning you have to draft your cornerstones. You know, you have to draft those guys where I, I don't like taking Julio Jones in the first couple rounds because I like my first five rounds. I want guys that have a nice solid floor, but they can appreciate in value. I do not like taking DeAndre Hopkins or Devontae Adams in that first, second round range because they're going to depreciate after this year. You know, they're going to be 28. It's going to be on the downward. I, I prefer moving back as much as possible, accumulating value, but taking those young guys early and then move back and, and start to pick up some of them vets and fill in some of those holes, you know, and th there's so much value that can be had later because when people get to around seven, eight, nine, they want to take the high upside guys then. And there's a lot of positional value that falls. Yeah. And one good point to mention that you just alluded to is the idea of once players reach a certain age, it's not necessarily their production is going to fall off, but the value in the dynasty community is going to make their yeah. value just decrease. Like, yeah, once players hit 28, once running backs start hitting that 25, 26, they may still produce for a couple more years, but you are stuck with them. Like Julio Jones, for the amount of production he's going to provide for this year and next year, you should just keep him on your team unless you're needing to go right. into a rebuild because you, he's going to provide production similar to a Devontae Adams, but his age is what just hinders that value completely. Yeah, and what you do with that is like when you're trading back from those guys, I love DeAndre Hopkins, I love Devontae Adams, I love Julio Jones, and a redraft, give me all those guys possible. But if I trade back like I talked about with DeAndre Hopkins, you know, and I got J.K. Dobbins and D.K. Metcalf, if I want DeAndre Hopkins next year, guess what? He's cheaper. And I still came out on top. Like I'm getting those two players that I love and I could probably trade one of them back for him next year because that's where the value is going to start to go. And, and you, you know, you upgraded there and you can buy him cheaper the next year. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. So now we're going to go to the in season dynasty strategy. And my first question is, do you do anything unique in the season to set yourself apart in dynasty? Some examples are trading for injured players or trading away vets on a hot streak. I, believe and i subscribe completely to buy low sell high so i am buying guys that are at a risk you know i bought tyreek hill shares everywhere and I, I was not happy with what he did don't get me wrong but i saw i don't like to always look at them as players i look at them as shares or i look at them as you know that that's an asset it's more like a, a stock market you know and um i know there's some negative stuff going around with that but like yeah i would it, say just think about it like a portfolio yes yes i like that better you know but what I like to do is I like to, you know, take risks on those kind of guys. And when there's players that are veterans that I don't believe in, when they have a good game, when John Ross or Sammy Watkins put up 40 point games last year, I was trying to sell them to anybody that was believing, you know, so that's, that's what you got to do in dynasty. And it, it really, it's very team dependent. You know, a guy might start out, let's say Leonard Fournette starts out in a bad streak with the first like five, six games, but you believe in him, you can buy him at a discount, you know, and you, there's, there's streaks of four or five games where people really start to hit the panic button way too early. Yeah. So one example of a player that I'm actually leaning towards becoming a dynasty buy for me is David Montgomery, actually, which he recently had the scary news with. Yeah. He left the field on a cart, but luckily it's looking like it's just like a soft tissue hip injury or was it hip flexor injury? I think, I don't know. Something like yeah, that. The, groin the injury. Groin flex. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So, so maybe four weeks and maybe longer, but once that weeks come for any team that I'm like more of that retooling, rebuilding team, I think he's a decent grab. And I know a lot of people aren't super high on him because he wasn't that efficient, but I just think with his age, with the amount of usage that he receives, if you yeah. can get him relatively cheap, why not? Yeah. In, in dynasty trading players when they're injured or trading for players when they're injured can be, it's fantastic in a rebuild. I mean, last year, someone really wanted a tight end. I had Gerald Everett 
And he he gave me Preston Williams when he got hurt and a second round pick on top of it for Gerald Everett in the third. You know, so it's like I get a player I believe in so much more, but he's not going to help that guy. And you can't just sit back in Dynasty. You know, you can't let it play out. You need to be aggressive. And when you see a guy gets injured, you know, wait a couple of days and make an offer and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm willing to trade you this guy off my team who's going to help you right off the bat. Yeah, like one example, and uh, this is more towards like an offseason trade, but I sent a random trade, just a cold trade, two 2020 thirds for Tom Brady. And that's before he signed with the Buccaneers, and yeah. they accepted it in a super flex. And that's one of those things Ooh, that – That's beautiful. I know, and it's it's one of those things that some people say, well, that's a low ball offer. You don't want to do that. But sometimes you just offer trades and you just see what happens. And if you're doing a rebuild, you have to be even more active than if your team is a contending team because you have to find the value. You have to sort of get little value here and there. you got to trade for the picks. you got to move picks around the rookie draft maybe to get some players to make a push. But, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I, I across my leagues last year, I made 127 trades. So I love making trades. I love getting those little trades, even if it's just on a rebuild trading Adrian Peterson in a third for a second, you know, because he does no good for your team in a rebuild, you know, or little things like that where you just make small trades, but they can add up to big things where, you know, that particular trade that ended up being Brian Edwards because I moved into a region where I was able to draft a player that I love. Nice. So with in season, there's always that time of when do you go to look to push for a championship or you just realize this isn't my year and I either need to retool or rebuild. Is there a certain week that you sort of look to realize that or is it maybe once you're at a certain record or what do you yeah. look for? I think the first four weeks are really telling, you know, that, that gives you an idea of where you're at. Um, you, you're understanding if you're going to be competing or not by week eight, I feel like, you know, if you're going to make the playoffs or not, you know, week eight is that for me is like, you know, most of my leagues only go to week 13. Then we start the playoffs. So I got five weeks. Now I have an idea of, do I need to go four and one? You know, that's a lot more risky of a play. Do I need to go five and oh, or is it a team where, you know, that, that week eight for me just seems like the time. And that's when you can really start to add value to your team for next year or make a push for that playoff spot this year. Yeah, and if you notice your team starts out like 0-4, yeah. that's when you do what you said before and you make that splash trade. You make yeah. that splash trade right then and there. You commit to a retooling, rebuilding. You get the assets like the A.J. Brown and a pick for DeAndre Hopkins. You you make that – you have to choose. You can't just sit in the middle. If you're a seventh – if you're the seventh seed, which is a non-playoff seed, the first uh, constellation bracket person, that's the worst spot you can be in. I did it. Uh, my first dynasty. Well, actually, my first dynasty was a writers' league with Tyler Gunther and and John Bosch, and I actually won that league year one and two, which was awesome. All right. And then my first like dynasty league I got into after that, I sat in sixth place three years in a row, and I'm like, this is horrible. Like I I got the 107. I don't want this. You know, like this is the worst. You know. So I was like, I didn't. I lost first round of the playoffs, and I'm like, I got to figure out how to do this. So I started. You know, Twitter's fantastic for great minds and listening to different podcasts. You know, I usually try to listen to eight to 10 different podcasts to get different ideas and different approaches. And I heard about somebody talking about a rebuild and I'm like, well, I didn't really think of that. I thought we just make a trade here or there. And I was like, I got to get into this. And I took a team, that team was, you know, two, two, you played two games a week. I went from, I went, Oh, and 24 to the next year. I went 22 and two and I won the championship and it was like, Hey, I'll take that money. You know? 
Yeah, and a lot of people need to realize too is that sometimes you just need that one year retool. Yeah, you don't have to. Usually, the two to three year rebuilds are orphan teams that someone completely destroyed, left it on the side of the curb, and then someone else is coming in to pick up the pieces. Yeah, and that's the difference of the two terminologies. Rebuild takes it two years. A retool, you can be competitive pretty quickly. You know, and and that's that's where the the kind of trades we've been talking about work out great for retooling because you're still getting good players. Rebuilding, you you almost got to tear it down and get those liquid assets because draft picks are never going to go down in price. You know, players always will. Yeah, I agree. Oh, this is actually going back a step, but I do have a question that's off the the show sheet. And that is if you're doing more of like a productive struggle or you're sort of trading back and acquiring those, those like 2021 first round picks, whenever the rookie draft comes around, are you going to look to move some of those picks for um, known players or are you going to keep them and sort of take the lottery chance with the rookie picks? I do not trade any of my rookie picks until the draft. I always hold them because rookie picks have their highest value when you're on the clock, right? We all have rookie fever. People want to get in there. Yeah, I just did one that was in a in a league that we're talking about where I had five firsts and I had the 101. And, you know, I would have taken Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He wanted Joe Burrow. So he gave me 109 and 221 firsts. I ended up getting Jerry Judy and two firsts for, for and then he took Joe Burrow, you know? So it's like, you got to take those things as you go. Then I get back to 105 and I'm like, is anybody interested in this pick? And then I get 110 and another first to move back five spots. And I'm like, I'm just going to keep accumulating this value and left the draft with CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, Jerry Judy, and I added three first round picks, you know? So now instead of five this year, I had two this year and then I got five next year. Nice. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice little building piece to where, Probably, I'm guessing in 2021, you're going to be looking to add a couple more running backs right. and then push. Yeah. And that that's on a rebuilding team. I mean, you have to know when to condense the picks. I mean, you need to know. I love Jonathan Taylor. I talk about Jonathan Taylor all the time. I got him in almost all of my rookie drafts. You know, I'm, I'm super. I got eight shares of him, and I love it because I kept moving up just a little bit. You know, give a second round pick to move up three spots to, to take him because people believe in that certain area. So sometimes you got to move up if you have conviction about your players. What I'm really telling listeners and, and other people is, once you do this for a while, you start to believe in players, you know, and trust those players. Don't fade on it because someone else tells you they're no good. You know, like right now I'm seeing a lot of negative things out there on Austin Eckler. I love Austin Eckler, you know, but people are like, ah, fade him because of Tyrod Taylor. I mean, I believe that he's a top notch running back in this league. And I saw a thing on Twitter the other day. If he caught 50 less passes, he'd be going, he'd be the RB seven. Now he's going RB 13. You know, it's like things like that. You believe in a guy, have conviction and, and keep that. Yeah, one player that's breaking my heart is Mike Williams with that injury because he he's one player that I like. David Montgomery is another player I like. Yep. Uh, and then who else? Ersman Jr. is a player that I really, really like. And I actually I have him ranked super high and just really excited about his potential with the uh, Vikings. Yeah, they're talking about putting him in the slot, putting him out wide. And I've gotten him in almost every single startup I've done, you know, because he's he's cheap right now. Yeah, and he's someone I need to really make a push. I made a push to trade for him in one league, and this is actually one of my home leagues, and my older brother was just like, nope, I'm holding on to him. And I was like, man, you must have read my stuff on Twitter. I've been been talking about him a little oh, bit too much. They do that all the time. I got a, a, a trade offer the other day, and he's like, you told me Ronald Jones is a buy this offseason. I heard it on the podcast. You know you want him. And then, like, it's in the notes of the actual trade, and I'm like, man, that's not right, using that against me. 
<laughs> so now we're going to go to the off season, which is the reason everybody loves Dynasty. That's the reason I love Dynasty. And the first part is, do you do a certain way that you evaluate your dynasty teams to see if you need to go into a retool? And I know we've been talking about retooling, rebuilding, but it's something that I'm really passionate about. And I know you're passionate about it, but how do you evaluate your teams? Well, I, I like to look at things. I don't look at necessarily wins and losses. Uh, MFL has a nice option where you get to see a play all schedule. So you would see if you played every team every week, you can see what your record would have been. I like to look at my core age value you know my guys that are in my my top five or six players are they over 27 are they in that 23 24 range like you want um and and you know see where records doesn't always tell things you know could you have won more games if you if you had player x and i think you break it down by position honestly i mean i i feel like you got to look at things wide receivers so deep you know and that's where i'm willing to trade back and and accumulate value that's why i keep talking about insulated trades with wide receivers running back it's that top tier that you really want to get into that area because uh, your rb1 you know 1 through 12 they have a 54% hit rate year after year rb2 has a 17% hit rate to get in that rb1 class so i'm trying to stockpile on those running backs and i think you yours was one of the rosters we went over on the uh, Scott Fishbowl episode, I think. And yours was yes, happy. robust RB. Yeah, and that's what I did, and that's what I'm all about right now is like loading up on them running backs and and because the wide receiver value is so good. So right now I'm trying to get those stud running backs, and I'm trying to take the value of the Cortland Suttons, the DJ Charks, the Hollywood Browns, those wide receiver ones on their team that are you can get as your wide receiver three and really put you over the top it, as far as quarterbacks go this is something that i'm really starting to to come around on is like those top two tiers i feel like the top seven quarterbacks you know i have in my rankings is Mahomes, jackson watson um kyler Dak, and and wilson even even maybe even josh allen and wentz and burrow i'm trying to get those guys i'm trying to get as many shares of that because once you get to like quarterback you know 14 they're all pretty close. 14 to 24 are like right in there. So if you can get two guys in that top 12, that's the one position I'm willing to trade up. That's the position where in Superflex, it's such a positional advantage to have two of those kind of guys as opposed to, you know, you're either going to get two older vets with your your Breeze and Brady type or, or Matt Ryan, or you're going to get two guys that aren't quite proven like Drew Locke or Sam Darnold, which they could pay off. But I like to have those safe players when it comes to Superflex. Yeah, and going back to our point with how the community looks at players, those top seven quarterbacks are super stable year to year, and I don't see any of them except for I know some people have expressed concerns for like Josh Allen, which he's yeah. he's he's a separate tier from the first six, but yeah. uh, it's definitely a nice thing to have those assets that you're like, okay, I'm like almost 100% certain that like a Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Doc Prescott are going to be stable for the next right. like three years, and that's super nice to have versus – um, having, like you said, a Drew Locke or like even a Baker Mayfield, who I still have him ranked as a top 12 quarterback, but he's one that if he struggles this year, oh my goodness. Right. I was, oh, I was all on the Baker train, man. I got the Funko Pops. My son's got the jersey. I was all about him. You know, we shouting from the rooftops. He's a QB too because he breaks the, the touchdown record. Then he gets Odell Beckham and it was like, I think the fame got to him a little bit. I think he's hungry this year and he looks like he's ready for a bounce back. The offensive yeah. line got beefed up. You know, I, I'm excited for what Baker can do, but you know, I have him in that QB 12 to 14 range, and that's that's an interesting range there because it's like, do you want you know, do you want Locke? Do you want Tua? Do you want you know those kind of young upside guys? Or are you taking the the Matthew Stafford who I absolutely love, or Matt Ryan if you're in a win now, or even like a Jared Goff? He's someone yeah. I've started to warm up to as well. 
And one point I wanted to go back to is you're mentioning, you mentioned your like top five cornerstone players and looking at their average age, which I actually haven't heard before. And that's a great point because if you're starting to get on that older side and then you have like no depth underneath, oh man, you need to start moving players. You need to go into probably a full rebuild versus if you're more on like the younger side, like if you're 23, 24, you're perfect. If you're 26, then you have to really evaluate, like, am I going to make a push this year or should I start doing those trades? We talked about those moving down a little bit for those assets that will most likely increase. So I love that. It's something I'm huge on right now. And when I was on goat district the other day, they call it a pivot, but it's like, it's like taking Dalvin Cook right now and moving off of Dalvin Cook down to Miles Sanders or Josh Jacobs and getting a little bit of value maybe on top, but you're getting you're taking a 25, 26 year old guy who doesn't have a contract moving down to Josh Jacobs, who's 22 years old. He's got a contract and he looked great his rookie year. Yeah, those are great. That's a great move. So my next question is, do you make any moves before the NFL free agency occurs to put yourself ahead? So some examples I've talked about in previous podcasts are like trading for Teddy Bridgewater before he signed with the team, or even like I mentioned my trade for Tom Brady. And I actually traded for both Teddy Bridgewater and Tom Brady in the same league and got them relatively cheap for just because of the ambiguity of their situation. So is that something you look to do? Yeah, you have to kick the tires there. I mean, I tried it with Ryan Tannehill two years ago because I figured he would get a starting job somewhere. Tried it with Teddy Bridgewater. Tried it with Jameis Winston, you know, thinking he might get one here, you know, and that still hasn't panned out. But if something happens to Drew Brees, I mean, in that offense, he could put up huge numbers. So, yeah, it's all about – it's a stock market. You know, you buy low, you sell high. And if you can buy – you know, if you bought Ryan Tannehill, you probably could have bought him for two-thirds. And right now, he's in no man's land. Like, nobody's paying a first, but you wouldn't get rid of him for a second. But you at least made out, and you got a quarterback who was a QB1 last year. Yeah, and for 2021, a nice example could be trading for running backs that end up in the free agent market because I'm currently working on a series with Dynasty Nerds about predicting where players may end up. And whenever you start looking at all the situations and predicting where you think rookies will end up going, which I talked to Dynasty Price and he said he probably predicts around five rookies to end up getting a starting job somewhere. And so that leaves like, I think it was like eight teams total for like 15 guys. And that even includes like the Kareem Hunts, the Mark Ingrams. I even predicted that Le'Veon Bell probably won't be on the Jets anymore. So it's one of those things that the running backs may be an interesting way if you can get someone like someone I've been sort of warming up on a little bit is like a Leonard Fournette. I know a lot of people don't like him, but I don't think it's crazy that he gets a better situation in 2021 and then his value increases and you're still getting most likely RB1 production this year. Cream rises to the top. I mean, it always does. And Leonard Fournette is one of three quarterbacks to be an RB1 three years in a row. You know, it, it's him, it's Zeke, and it's Alvin Kamara. You know, I mean, McCaffrey wasn't his rookie year, but I mean, those guys have been RB1s. And look at those two. The other first, the other two guys are going top five, and Leonard Fournette's going third, fourth. I got him in the fifth round of FFPC, and he's been a productive back. We we wanted him to be able to catch passes, right? That was the the knock on Leonard Fournette. Then he catches 80 passes and we make fun of it. We're like, well, it was just the perfect storm and it just kind of worked out for him. Let's say he has a good year, you know, and he's going to be playing for a contract and Chris Carson fumbles away his job and Leonard Fournette goes to Seattle. His value's through the roof, you know? It goes to New England. Well, no, let's not talk about New England. (laughs) That's like no man's land. I want it to be Damian Harris season, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think Atlanta's an interesting perspective for Leonard Fournette as well. And that's, those are actually the two teams I talked about for my article. Cause I actually did one over Leonard Fournette is the Atlanta Falcons, which I'm skeptical about Todd Gurley being able to be that guy for 2021 and staying healthy. And then, yeah, if, if he can go to the Seahawks, Oh man. Yeah. 
they're going to run Todd Gurley into the ground this year. I mean, they said 15 to 25 touches, and I feel like they're just they're not worried about the knee. They're worried about winning right now. And I, I mean, I'm not trying to dehumanize it, but I mean, that's what the that's what the business is. I mean, Todd Gurley is going to get a ton of usage this year. Yeah, he's a he's an interesting buy candidate. If any rebuilding or retooling team needs to get rid of him, but if you're a retooling team, hold off. So my last question for you, Mike, and we sort of talked about this a little bit with how you deal with rookie draft picks versus trading them for known players. And you mentioned how you wait until you're on the clock. And if you have a certain conviction for a player like a Jonathan Taylor, you'll end up trading up. So my question is, with these rookie picks, let's say you had like six rookie picks. Would you try to more capitalized by getting those early picks for those rookies that are the high-end guys that mostly hit higher and then trade away the later ones or do the reverse and try to trade away the higher-end ones and then draft the lower guys, lower draft picks? So I, I feel like – and so in that particular draft, that was the Dynasty Happy Hour Staff League. I have Godwin, DJ Moore, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown at wide receiver and CD Lamb. So I don't need any wide receivers, and this is a heavy wide receiver class. I'm probably on pace to look like I'll get the 101, 102. So you have to at least – Trevor Lawrence, when he joins this league, is going to be a second-round startup pick from his rookie year. You know, maybe – I hate to say it, maybe even back end of first because, because he is the biggest prospect we've had since Andrew Luck. I mean, people are going to go nuts over him. And obviously, you got Fields and Lance. I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks when you're talking super flex here. It's a great wide receiver class with, with Jamar Chase. But I feel like you – you get the most value out of those early picks, but you don't want to let somebody else have Trevor Lawrence. You know, they're going to have to come in and pay up. So I like to take those early ones and at least shop them. But, it, you know, it really goes based off of I had one one in three leagues. I took Jonathan Taylor in all three of them, um, you know, and because that's the guy I wanted. I still at least listen to offers, you know, see what anybody would say. But they were they were really weak, you know, and people were going that route. So it's it's. It's tough. It goes based off your team need, but for me, I'm gonna. I want offers for those early picks. But what I like to do is when you get to 110, 111, 112, is target a player that you like on someone's team and be like, "Does anybody want to get in here?" And they try to trade in. So now I want. If you want the 112, you got to give me your 21 first, and a player I like, you know, and, and get some type of wide receiver or some type of running back that's going to help your team this year. So you get two pieces for one, and chances are it's going to be better than the 110, 112. Yeah, and that's a great point with talking about how you're always looking for traits. That's that's how you made it was like 120 trades last oh, year, yeah, right? Yeah. So always be looking to make trades, and it, it nothing happens with a trade until everybody hits accept. So there's nothing wrong with the discussion being like, hey, who do you like on my team? I like this guy on your team, or even just something like that. I know there's some uh, arguments on Twitter on, oh, I just want cold offers. Oh, I like to talk. I'm one of those guys that I like to talk, and if someone doesn't like to talk, like I'm in a league with Shane. Uh, at Shane is the worst and he he's very much a cold offer guy and yeah. so I don't talk to him because I know he doesn't want it he just likes the offer he'll send it back we've made some crazy trades uh yeah. but he's a I, great it, guy you, he you is. Gotta, rule number one in all of my when I when I do my lessons is know your league you know know your guys I think it's uh Sal Lito has a black book on all his owners you know he was the guy I heard him on dynasty trade calculator he was talking about he has this big notebook and it says all the trends of what people do on their teams how they like to communicate you know and use those group me's those voxers and all those kind of things for the people that do like that you know and what i there's so many times you see the trade get done in a league right somebody makes a trade and you're like i would have given more than that you know so it's like don't be that guy who takes makes a cold offer that's on the low end where you're trading a stud and you didn't at least shop it around the league 
Yeah, great point. And I do agree that uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to be that back into the first, start of the second, because in a recent draft, Joe Burrow was the 2.07. Yeah. And Joe Burrow had an amazing year, but Trevor Lawrence has been hyped forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the ceiling on Lawrence is higher, but the floor is way higher than Joe Burrow. I mean, the range of outcomes for Joe Burrow, and I talk about it a lot on my podcast. I think he's going to break the rookie touchdown record because of the negative game script there in in you know in the Bengals offense and the weapons around it with Boyd and Green and and Higgins and Ross and Mixon. I mean, there's so many weapons there. They're going to be last year Dalton and Finley and Driscoll threw for 24 touchdowns. He could easily throw for 29. You just reminded me of a sad trade where I sent it 2021 third for Ryan Finley. Uh, it was a bad day. <laughs> But anyways, awesome. I had a blast tonight, Mike. Thank you again for coming on. Do you have any projects or articles that you're currently working on? I need to get a, get back into the writing. I've been doing so many different podcasts. I've jumped on a dozen in the last two weeks because I just love talking football this time of year, you know. And um, at the Dynasty Dad podcast, you know, we have we're doing bi-weekly episodes. You know, I just did one with Dynasty Outhouse and one with Scott Connor. Uh, next week, I have Peter Howard and uh, stepmom Lauren coming on. So I got, I got some great guests pretty excited about that, you know, and it's a little bit more hard hitting, a little bit more talking about dynasty strategy, dynasty theory, just like we were talking about tonight. You know, we didn't talk player X value and player Y value. We talked about how to win. We talked about how to make moves. And I, I mean, I love that from your podcast, you know, and I've been listening to your podcast and, you know, I, I appreciate what you're doing out there. Uh, dynasty refinery. We just celebrated our 50th episode. Um, that one's a little bit more like, you know, Jared and I like to have a good time. We're, we're friends in real life and, you know, talk a lot more. Uh, we try to talk a lot more trade strategy on there. We try to talk a lot about trades and be very interactive with Twitter. So I'm always on Twitter. I mean, I see you on there a lot. I'm always on there too. And you guys can find me at dynasty underscore dad FF, you know, hit me up with trade offers, always retweeting polls. And I love it. You know, it's, it's just, it's a blast. Yeah, I agree. Definitely have enjoyed interacting with you on Twitter related to trades. Cause I know we both get uh, tagged on quite a plenty plenty of trades we actually agree more often than not which yeah. is always a good thing because it's always bad whenever you're the only person saying get this guy and you're like "Ooh, what what did i do yeah no you and i are usually in sync i see that you posted it and i'm like okay i'll just retweet it because he said the same thing you know <laughs> like he, he beat me to it so yeah it's it's fun i mean i love engaging with with new listeners i love engaging with just people on twitter in general because it is such a positive fantastic community you know people build each other up you go to ryan mcdowell and yeah he'll come on the show and he'll he'll build you up and i mean he's huge right i mean scott fish all those guys they're they're phenomenal you say something to them and they're yeah they're willing to jump on and they're willing to help you out and i love it i mean the dynasty twitter is a great place to be i completely agree i joined dynasty twitter set this last september and it's been a super welcoming community and it's pretty crazy I, like i remember i used to tag certain accounts and and then now they they follow me on twitter and it's like yeah. wow it's 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 crazy the community in general and it's i completely agree it's just fantastic to be able to just talk to people like even to get you on my podcast that was great yeah that's awesome yeah i, I feel like my my Twitter world is combining with my real world now. It's kind of crazy because I actually on my Facebook suggestions for people to, you know, friend list, it was Shane Manila. It was uh, Faith from Dynasty Happy Hour. It was Michael Richner from uh, it was like seven of them in a row. And I'm like, wait a second. Is somebody like hacking me here? They're like just pushing all the people that, you know, I know from Twitter. And it's like, oh, man, it's I love being a part of it. Awesome. So thank you again for coming on, Mike. Everybody go and follow him on Twitter at Dynasty underscore Dad FF, as well as check out the Dynasty Dad Pod and Dynasty Refinery. 
everybody make sure to subscribe rate and review to the snake in the draft podcast where you listen to podcasts and i want to thank everybody for tuning in and let's be snakes this draft season